0: The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus' people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered, missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. A new study in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, if if you're not familiar, just let your Bible fall open in the middle. Probably going to be somewhere around Psalms. Take a right. Go past Matthew and Mark and Luke and all that. And just briefly after that, you'll run across 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. So we're going to spend some time, several months, uh, walking through this book together. This is, uh, we're about to get into my preference. If you were to ask me how I would like to teach all the time, we would just walk through books of the Bible. And we would walk slowly through books of the bible maybe even verse by verse we i don't know if the modern ear has the the ability to kind of stomach that anymore so we're gonna we speed it up a little bit all right um we're gonna walk through second corinthians and you're like why do we do that why don't we just talk about marriage or why don't we just talk about sexuality or why don't we just talk about making more money or why don't we talking about having the best day of your life why do we have to talk about scripture okay so let me uh let me backtrack a little bit. I want to make sure maybe we're on a similar page with each other about this. First of all, our church, it's, it's in our, our, our doctrinal statement, which is online. You can see this. I don't want to surprise anyone. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. We believe in the, if you're going to push me, on an pl- plenary verbal inspiration of the Bible. I believe that every dot and T is, is God-given, okay? Um, so we, we believe that. That's where we start from. I don't start when I'm up here thinking I've got to prove that God's word is true. I start with God's word is true. I'm going to bend my will to it. Um, so we believe, first of all, in the inspiration of God's word, that he breathed it for us to know him and to experience him. The other reason we're going to do it is because we believe, if that's true, that God's word is, is uh, inspired by God, that when God says there's power in the word, there's power in the word. Amen. So I can get up here and yell at you guys all day long. There's not much power in that. You're going to get tired of that. There is innate power in the, gospel, in, in the word of God. So when you open it and you read it and you ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you, something supernatural is happening. Okay? So we believe that. And we're going to start with that and go out from there. Inspiration of the word, the the power of the word. We believe the word is reliable. It's trustworthy. What the Bible talks about, you can trust it. Okay? Okay? If it wigs you out that, like in Scripture, it doesn't speak specifically about something about how many days did there pass between day one of creation and why did Adam have a belly button and you know what happened to the dinosaurs? If it bothers you that that's not in there, God doesn't need you to know that. Can you can we just settle that in our Western minds that everything you need for life, godliness, and holiness and happiness is in Scripture? Amen. All right, we're just going to start with that. You can trust Scripture. All right. Whatever you need to know to get through life and be satisfied in life is found there through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's reliable, it's trustworthy, inspired, reliable power, and the Spirit is renewing our minds as we go through Scripture. It's, it's not just like any other book. It's not a collection of poems. It's not a bunch of songs somebody put together or stories or myths that somebody collected. The power of the Holy Spirit is active through the Word of God. So we believe that that's true. That's what we're going to go through, books of the Bible. We also believe that God still speaks today. God still moves, man. God still speaks. Now, I believe that is all subservient to the word of God. If you think you hear something from God that's cuckoo and it doesn't match up with scripture, it's cuckoo. All right? If it doesn't match up, if it doesn't get through the filter of scripture, it's not from God. Okay? So we believe God still speaks, but he's going to do it primarily through the the avenue of his word. And we're going to measure everything against Scripture, okay? So that's why we're going to walk through Scripture, okay? I was thinking about it this morning. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, there's inherent power in putting the, the, the Word of God into your life. And some of you men and women are in here and you're like, man, I struggle with sin. I would just kind of challenge you. How much Scripture have you put into your heart? God so loved the world that he gave. Is that it? God is love? That's the shortest one. I'll give you the shortest one in the Scripture. My favorite verse in the Bible. Moses said... That's it. That's the scripture. I memorized that. If that's all I've got going on in my head, man, I'm going to sin. You know, I got to know scripture. I got to have scripture in my heart. Scripture is one of God's powerful tools that he gives us to avoid sin. So brother and sister, if you're struggling with sin this morning, I'm going to point you to the word and say, put it in your heart. We believe these things to be true about God's word. That's how we're going to plow through a book of the Bible, okay? That's how we're going to handle difficult texts, things that we, we may not rather talk about. We're going to dig into it if that's where scripture takes us, okay? Um, so that's the reason why we're going to go into another book of the Bible this morning um, and over the next several months. So 2 Corinthians, uh, let's just give you a quick, quick uh, background on that. We did 1 Corinthians not that long ago. And if you remember 1 Corinthians, it's a hard book. It's a harsh book. Uh, Paul is hard on the people in Corinth because they're doing crazy things. And they're saying that it's godly and they're living a very ungodly life. And they're struggling with coming out of... Uh, their culture, they're coming out of a, a very pagan, uh, fleshly, sexualized culture. And they're struggling with that. And what does that look like in, in, as a Christian? And how do you uh, come out of it completely and be in the world but not of the world? You know. And they're trying to figure that out. And they're struggling mightily. And the church is just kind of a wreck. And uh, so Paul is writing them. And he's like, stop doing that stuff. And you, don't, you didn't understand that. Let me, let me explain that. And he's like, when I come to see you, I'm going to correct everything. Okay? So it's kind of this preemptory, uh, let's, let's quit doing everything we're doing wrong and let's try to get everything right and let's please the Lord together kind of a book. Well, sometime in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it looks like he wrote another letter, which may have been even harsher than the first one because he calls it, I wrote you a very severe letter, <laughs> another severe letter. And so it looks like they just kept going down that path and struggling and, and not dealing with their sin and calling bad things good things and wrong things right and uh, so he had to write them again. We don't have that, that second letter, which is fine. That means God doesn't need us to have it. It's all right. Um, and then we're going to end up with this third one. So Paul, at this point in the story, he's making his way to Corinth. He's going to go visit them again. He's been there a couple of times. He's going to go see them again. As he has sent Titus, so you have Titus later in the, in the New Testament. He was Paul's messenger boy here. He takes that letter to them, and Titus sees that the church is turning things around he's like, Paul, they're making changes. They're actually coming around to the things of the gospel and the things of truth. And so Paul is on the way back to see them at this point, And he gets that news and he writes them another letter. Okay? That's the letter we're going to look at, 2 Corinthians. Um, and he's thrilled that they have turned the corner. He's thrilled that they've put some of these really horrible things behind them. And now he's really trying to encourage them uh, in their, their Christian faith and they're experiencing real life change. So I just wanted to, I was thinking about that and I just wanted to stop here and talk to you like a 49-year-old man in America. And I want to ask maybe our guys specifically today, but guys, who, who is saying the hard things to you? Paul writes these two severe, hard letters to these people in Corinth and corrected them on embarrassing things, really, really ugly, embarrassing things. I kind of called them out, So that's not how you understand, that's not scripture, that's not godly, that's not the gospel, that's not a godly lifestyle. So men, I want to challenge us first this morning. Who is speaking truth? Into you, Like Paul was speaking into these men. Who is saying the hard things to you that you would rather not hear? Who has the right in your life to come to you and say, man, you know what, bro? You are spiritually stagnant. I love you and you're my brother, but you've just hit a plateau and you're not growing. How can we get past this little barrier you've gotten to your life right now? You're spiritually stagnant. You're not leading and speaking into your own spiritual destiny and your own spiritual formation. You keep waiting for everybody else to show you how to grow and the church to show you how to mature. Brother, you need to grow up and you need to speak into your own spiritual formation. Let me walk with you as we figure out what that looks like. Who's saying that to you? Who's coming to you men and saying, man, you're prideful. Who's coming to us as men and saying, you're withdrawn. You're emotionally distant from everyone in your life. People need you. You need to connect with people. Who's saying to us, men, you're just not suffering very well. I know life is hard and I know life is difficult and you're just not handling it very well. You're going down some bad paths to self-medicate. We need to correct some of those things. Guys, men, everyone in the room. But guys, who is speaking hard things into you? We're going to hit this again as we go through it later on. Maybe somebody needs to come to you and encourage you and say, do you have any idea how many people you could help you're so good. You're so talented. You're so smart. You love Christ so much, but you're, you've got these issues. And if, you could just, if we could just address these things, there's so many people in life that you could help. We talked last week about the fact that we all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. And we all want somebody to speak the truth to us in love. All of us want that. So let's get into those relationships. Let's get somebody to be our Paul if we need to say it that way. Let's get into those relationships, and let's be a good giver of truth and love and a good receiver of truth and love. So I just wanted to challenge our guys with that as we got started today. As we go through 2 Corinthians, two big themes. There's a lot of other things that pop up, but they're really revolving around these two themes. Uh, One of them is God's comfort for his suffering children, that God knows when you suffer, that God hears when you suffer. He sees your suffering, and he is the source of your comfort. He's driven to act for you. Uh, so that's one of the themes. The second one is that God's strength is revealed in our suffering. This is part of God's economy that I absolutely hate. It's like the tax man. I hate taxes in the, you know, our system, our capitalistic system. I hate that in God's economy, the way that God's strength is shown in me is when I'm weak. I want God's strength to be shown to me when I'm happy and strong and comfortable but that's not the way it works because at that point I receive the praise and I think I'm really good. And God needs me to get out of the way. And suffering is God's mechanism that he uses to get me out of the way so his, his strength can be seen clearly. So we're going to look over and over again at those two themes because they'll repeat themselves quite a bit um, as we go through this. So th- let me just pray again once, uh, once again and ask the Lord to speak to us specifically about these things. God, I pray that you would speak to our men today. We've already challenged them. God, that we would give ourselves to these relationships. The church needs men who love Jesus. The church needs men who are strong in Christ, God. Father, I pray that our men would would submit themselves to each other and to these relationships so we can speak truth to one another. God, I pray for all of our church. God, as each of us go through a period, a season of suffering and a season of pain, God, that we would know you as the God of all comfort. And God, that your strength would be seen through us. So, Father, I pray that you would do those things as we look at the, the book of 2 Corinthians. This morning, start that. Who needs to hear something specific this morning? Holy Spirit, speak it to them. Change lives, save souls. In your name I pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. A little intro passage there, which we didn't go through. Verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may, able, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ man, if you're going through something, that should just be on your mirror, that should be on your dashboard or your car. You need to have those words in your heart and your mind all the time. The comfort of God is abundant. The comfort of God is in Jesus Christ. The comfort of all God, the God of all comfort. You need to just saturate yourselves in that. I think if most of us does, isn't there, I don't know, maybe not, isn't there, shouldn't there be some kind of, uh, Discord, a dissonant reaction in your soul when a preacher stands up in a pulpit and says you don't have to go through life and suffer and today can be the best day of your life and you can have everything you want in life and then you go live life and it's not like that? Isn't isn't there something in our soul like if Morgan came back up here and you played just this awful chord on on your hymn and we would all, oh my gosh, that hurt to hear that. There should be something in our lives, guys, that when you hear somebody say that or you read a book like that, that something in your soul goes, oh gosh, That's just, something's not right about that. That doesn't match up to my reality. I'm either the worst Christian that ever lived because I have crappy days or that theology's bad. You know what I'm saying? And there should be something in us that just goes, oh, gosh, that just doesn't work very well. You know? Because I think if you read scripture, if you honestly read scripture, you're going to come to the conclusion that, quite frankly, suffering is a guaranteed part of the human experience. You might not suffer. You will suffer. It is a guaranteed part of the human experience. Now, here's what I found that most of us have a hard time with that. that that's really not our preferred reality. Okay, well, A lot of us have a very difficult time with that. and A lot of Christians really struggle with suffering, especially in the West. We have a very difficult time with this. So when suffering comes through our door... We don't just suffer because it's hard or it's painful. We suffer because of how we handle it. We compound our suffering because we don't handle it very well. We make suffering more insufferable with the filter that we use to try to understand our suffering. Paul Tripp has said this. He says, we live our life based on our interpretation of facts. That means that we bring an interpretive grid to our suffering that will shape the way we interact with and respond to suffering. Every Christian somehow and in some way will interpret their suffering. What you believe in those moments of interpretation is critical, not only to your faith, but also to the faith of those with whom you are suffering. Now that's a lot of language that I threw out there, but you need to understand that what this means is, if you're going through a smooth sailing time right now in life, you're building your theology of suffering right now. And when suffering comes, your theology runs head-on into that moment of suffering. And you're now trying to interpret that moment of suffering through a grid, a theology, a filter, and either it can handle that or it can't. It can can make some sense of it or it can't. It can give you comfort or it can't. And that's where we really struggle. When our theology and our filter is off and suffering comes our way, we don't know how to make a match up. They're that dissonant chord that I talked about, right? That minor chord that's, eh, you know, just right in the middle of it. And we can't figure out how to make them work out. And our suffering becomes more painful because it's not matching up to true, good theology and thinking. Because our filter's wrong. We're using the wrong filter, okay? So I think uh, particularly, and I don't know if we were able to get this up there. Cool, there's a chart I'm going to throw up there. And you can write these things down. This is part of our filter that most of us kind of have. On the one side, we have this American dream life. And it says that that the purpose of life is for you to be self-realized, for you to actualize yourself, for you to to become fully everything that you can be and just sprout and bloom and grow and all of life is going to be great as you work hard and da-da-da-da-da and and come to, to find your own purpose in life. And in a Christian worldview, your identity is in Christ. Everything you do pops out of, springs from the reality that you are a child of the Father in heaven. Everything, and that we've been brought in unity with Christ, that we don't live independently of him in any area of our lives. Another part of our filter is that um, we're supposed to gather stuff. Like we spend 70 years gathering stuff, getting storerooms for our stuff, and having two garages for our stuff, and getting bigger houses for our stuff. That's the American dream, right? This is how we handle suffering. We insulate ourselves from suffering by getting a bunch of stuff. So when anything that comes along that threatens our stuff, it makes suffering even harder. See what I'm saying? This is part of our interpretive grid for suffering. Now, what's the Christian, we're supposed to use all of our stuff for the kingdom. If that means I give every bit of it away, then that's fine. God's going to take care of me. It flies in the face of the American dream. Does it not? And how we interpret suffering. Another one. I'm supposed to have peace all the time. My circumstances are supposed to lead me to a place of peace and comfort and safety and security. On the Christian side of things, we have a hope that doesn't disappoint regardless of our circumstances. One's dependent on what's happening to you or in your life or the bad choices you've made or not made. That you hope everything coalesces into this perfect moment. Right? Of utopia somewhere here in this world. And the other one's like, that's not ever going to happen. We live in a broken place. I'm broken. You're broken. We're going to have broken times. But I have a hope that's never going to leave me. It's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to hold on to that no matter what my circumstances are like. Because listen, death is coming for all of us. You're going to be on that bed at some point or another. If you're holding on to circumstances and stuff, you're hosed. There's a hope that doesn't disappoint and sees us through that door into the next world. Amen? The person of Jesus Christ. Now another thing, we're supposed to insulate ourselves from pain. How much, think about it, how much of our lives are kind of spent around keeping bad things out, right? Building security systems financially or or in our families or just whatever because we're supposed to keep pain out. The ideal Christian life is to never hurt. The Christian worldview is that I'm supposed to suffer with Christ. Paul talks about knowing Christ through our sufferings and participating in the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Those are direct opposites of one another. So if on the one hand pain comes to my life and I'm interpreting everything through this Western American worldview, pain will crush me. Gerard talked about it uh, two or three weeks ago. He's like, my my theology won't won't handle a tragedy. If I'm on this side, pain's going to hurt, right? If I'm on the Christian worldview side, it's still going to hurt. I'm still going to go through difficult times, but I will not be crushed by this. We're going to get into that in 2 Corinthians, like chapter 3 or 4. He's going to talk about that. So you're going to go through pain and suffering, part of the guaranteed human experience, How you come into that and what you're doing with your suffering while you're there can help you weather the storm, not without pain, but weather the storm, or it can be even more painful. So listen, if you want to know why we go through scripture and why we walk through books of the Bible, it's because we want to have a theology that stands up under the weight of life. And when life comes crashing down on us, we want to make sure that our belief system doesn't crumble with it. That the pillars that we put in place during the good days are enough to handle what's coming our way because it's coming. Okay? And when the test comes, we want to stand and let the Lord build new pillars and new things that we couldn't even do on our own during that time of suffering. Okay? So let's just make sure, do our best to make sure that as we go through times of struggling, we're not making it harder with our interpretive grid, our filter that we're using. Okay? So that's one of the struggles that we struggle with as we go through pain we can get lost in our pain there are people who and you know them they hurt and it hurts to hurt and it's really ugly to hurt and i hurt did i tell you that i was hurt one time that's their whole story it's just hurt and pain and it may be awful and it may be horrible and stuff you can't imagine but there's some pain and they just get lost there they're just stuck there somewhere right so we can kind of get lost in our pain we can become defined by our pain when I think, when you think of who you are, if I said, hey, describe yourself to me, you have to catch yourself from telling me the worst thing that's ever happened to you, right? Well, my parents were divorced when I was 12. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. That's not who you are. That happened to you, but that's not who you are. You all tracking with me here? So you can get lost in your pain. You can get defined by your pain. And we can replay that pain and suffering over and over and over. And so what we know from Scripture is, is that what we meditate on, we multiply its power in our lives, right? What we give our minds to, what we give our energy to, what we give our hopes and dreams to, or failed hopes and dreams to, we multiply its power in our lives as we, suffer, as we sit on it and meditate on it. Now, I'm not talking about grieving. That's a whole different sermon. I'm talking about what you're doing with your pain over the long haul. Grieving can come along. There's godly grieving. And we should do it. So I'm not telling anybody, get over your stuff at all. I'm saying don't be defined by your pain. Don't get lost in your pain. Don't let your pain determine who you are. Because you're going to make your pain worse while you're going through it. Sometimes when we're in our pain, we're going to pray for deliverance, right? Which is what most of us do when we're hurting. God, get me out. Take this away. This hurts too much. We pray for deliverance and... Honestly, because we're people, we're humans, we pray for deliverance, for deliverance's sake. (laughs) For no other reason than I just don't want to hurt. God, take this away from me. I don't want to hurt anymore. Or maybe to prove the gospel or prove our faith to ourselves or somebody else. What we're going to see in this passage is, is that Paul's going to be praying and he's like, God's going to walk you through your pain so that you can comfort other people. The purpose of God's deliverance is so you can minister to other people. It takes all the focus off of us. It takes all of the focus off of our needs and hurt and pain. And it places it on there's a kingdom work to be done that includes your pain and your deliverance. And God wants to deliver you so that you can be a minister to other people. Which is pretty powerful, man. It's a radical change of orientation for why a lot of us are praying during our times of pain. So while we're in Christ, because we're in Christ now as Christians, uh, we have this way of interpreting suffering Um, An affliction that comes our way We now begin to see it That is literally It could literally be For somebody else's consolation I'm suffering so I can comfort somebody else So I can help someone else So we don't only receive The comfort of the Lord The consolation of the Lord We're able to then take that And give it to other people To console others We're going to see that Verses 3-7 through and verse 9 As we get into this today so it even changes how we pray. In a Christian worldview, how we see the world around us, how we interact with reality, we can come to see pain. And this is going to sound bad, but I guess here's one of the reasons I feel good about being able to say this to you. Not because I've figured it out, because I've walked through some junk. Okay? We're walking through junk now. doesn't totally qualify me, but I can tell you I'm in the process right now with you. Okay, So pain and suffering can be an opportunity for us. And we rarely see pain and suffering as an opportunity, if ever, while we're in it. But it can be. It can be an opportunity. What does it give us an opportunity to do? To refocus on God. I can't tell you how many times, let's say, two years ago, if for some ungodly reason I woke up at 6 in the morning, right? Which is just early for me, right? But if I worked up at 6... Man, my mind start racing about the Cowboys or Jenna's soccer game or uh, work I have to do this week or something just this tangential worry stuff that's going on. I wake up now at 6 in the morning, I'm praying for Mindy. I wake up at 6 in the morning now, I'm praying for those of you in this room that are suffering. I wake up at 6 in the morning now, my mind automatically goes to a prayer that I've got written down in my iPad and my phone. I open it up and I start praying through it. Pain is an opportunity to refocus on God. And it is unlike any other opportunity you're going to have in your life. It sharpens your focus in a way that that good times and happiness don't. Yet we're so tuned in to praying for happiness, aren't we? And satisfaction. But that's like the worst place we can be often with our faith. So it's this opportunity to refocus on God. It lets us reevaluate what we worship. Sometimes it's more painful. Suffering is more painful because what we worship is under direct attack. We worship our spouse and something happens to them, your suffering's worse. Because what you've put your hope in and what you've put your happiness in is being attacked. And if it fails, you go down with it. Are y'all tracking with me right now? This is hard stuff. This is hardcore stuff, man. Sometimes we are worshiping our children and happiness and health and beauty and family. And when it comes under attack, our suffering is that much more worse because what we have begun to worship is under attack. So this allows us to reevaluate, what am I really worshiping in life? Next thing, it's an opportunity to renew our commitment to stand more on our knees. We can renew our commitment to stand more on our knees. I read Ephesians chapter 6, man, and 5. 6, I guess, and it talks about the armor of God. And if you've ever read that, and it's the helmet and the sheaths and the things and the loincloth, whatever they're talking about. You know, I'm like, I don't even know what that stuff is. Shields and all helmets. But you know what he says at the end? He says, having done all this, stand. I could do that. (laughs) I may not know what the rest of that is, but I can stand. And when you suffer, man, it is an opportunity to get up and stand. (laughs) You may do it on your knees, but you're going to stand up. And suffering gives us an opportunity to stand like we don't do when things are good. It's easy to get up when I'm doing something I like and stand up when it's something I want to do. But when, when I'm suffering, there's an extra amount of resolve and faith that it takes to get up and to stand. Just literally to get up. <laughs> suffering gives us an opportunity in a Christian worldview. is a, a unique worldview in that it gives us the opportunity to look at life like that unlike other things. What I've done, I've I've seated our room today, and I've given some people this this book. It's a Bible, actually. Um, It's called the Beyond Suffering Bible. Some of you may know who Johnny Eric Satata is. I'm not going to go through that. She's been a paraplegic for 40 years, suffered a lot, two bouts of breast cancer uh, during this time. And um, (laughs) she prayed a prayer when she was like 21 after she'd been paralyzed for four or five years. God, if you won't kill me, give me something to live for. Now, that was 30-plus years ago now. So she helped to, to edit this Bible, right? So I didn't edit the Bible, but there's a lot of study notes in here that are directly related to people that are going through hard times. It's fantastic. It's great. So here's what I've done. In this crowd today, I've handed out, I think, four of these to people who I know are going through hard stuff. So here's what I'm going to tell my friends that I've given this to. If you have one of these, that's a blessing for you. Keep it. If there's somebody you can give it to and bless give it to them. Okay? So you need to start praying. If I gave you a Bible this morning, you need to start praying and say, God, is this for me or is this for somebody else? It may be for you. Keep it. I'm praying about this one because I think I know who I'm supposed to do this one to, but start praying. Maybe you get that one, all right? Um, This is one of the ways that we can minister to each other when we're going through pain. Okay? And I'm going to come back to that quite a bit later on, but that's a great resource that you can avail yourself to. Um, Verse 3, this is fascinating to me. The song that we sang earlier was just perfect for this. Um, In verse 3, the very first thing that we see Paul do, he blesses the Lord. Right? Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the very first thing that he does. Now, what does that mean? If I were to look at God and go, bless you, God, you know, what does that mean? How do I bless God? You know, uh, a lot of times we look at, at the word blessed and, and maybe we think about the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount where it's like, blessed is the one who does this or blessed is the one who is like this. And we, oh, that means happy and content. So am I looking at God and saying, God, be happy, be content? Uh, is that what I'm saying? So when he's doing this, what is he trying to communicate to God? I think basically what, what Paul is saying and the way he's using this, he is, he is saying to him, let my praises bless you. As I praise you, Be blessed from that. Like, really, what do we have to offer the eternal God of the universe? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Doesn't it say in Isaiah that my best is like filthy rags to him? So what do I really have to bring him? My life and my worship. That's it. To bow my will to his. To submit my mind to him and to offer him all that I am and to worship him. That's all I really have. So I come to him and I say, as I praise you, be blessed As I tell you how great you are, I hope it's a blessing to your heart. So that's how he starts out this passage. He's going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about comforting each other. But the very first thing he does is say, be blessed. God, I worship you. This is where he starts, which I find to be fascinating. He intentionally starts out with worship and with praise. What we don't know is this, was Paul still suffering? Because he's going to talk about some crazy stuff later in this book. He's going to talk about some stuff in this text today. We don't know, is he still going through his hard time? Is he still suffering? Later on, he's going to say that God sent an angel of Satan to torment him. Is that happening now while he's writing this book? Is he still hurting from how the the Corinthians sinned earlier? Because I can tell you as a spiritual father, it hurts when your children sin and live in sin and give themselves to sin. It's painful. Is he still going through that? Is he hurting for them as his words and his ministry come under attack? People are doubting his authority to teach them anything. And is he under pain from all those things, then physical pain? We don't really know. Either way, he chooses to worship. Paul starts out here and he chooses to concentrate on truth, the truth of God, when his feeling and circumstances and his enemy and his pain would lie to him. He chooses to. To focus on God. He chooses to worship. To keep his heart from chasing after other forms of, of comfort. Which is what, this is very natural. When you're under pain, when you're suffering, it is natural for us to look for a way to get that eased. To take that away. So he's concentrating on God to keep his heart from chasing after other avenues of comfort. The self-medication of sex or substances or food or other circumstances or just whatever is entertainment. When I use this word worship here, when I say he's, he's worshiping God, blessed be the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father. When I say that, here's what I mean. It's a lifestyle of bringing glory to God. What does it mean to worship God? It's a lifestyle of bringing glory to God. Through your thoughts, your words, your actions, daily expressions of faith in every circumstance. That's worship. You worship God, I think, most greatly and most sincerely and most intimately when life is hard and you're suffering and you still choose right. And you still choose righteousness. And you still choose godliness, even though it's hard. And even though it's, it's not going to give you immediate relief. That is worship of God. He starts there. So I don't think, here's what Paul, Paul's like, hey guys, listen, I'm glad I can go to church with you guys in Corinth and I'm looking forward to hanging out with y'all and we can sing songs of deliverance because I'm having a hard time. And this last week, I spent the whole week at bars and I was looking at some porn and I went to chariot races and I was staring at Gronk's cave drawings. I don't know what they did back then Because, because, because life is hard for me, but I can't wait to get with you guys in worship. Now he's saying, listen, life is hard. He's going to say in a few verses, life was so hard, I thought I was going to die. Blessed be the Lord God of our Father, Jesus Christ. That's where he starts. With worship. Not just on Sundays. We don't come here to satiate our wounds on Sundays. You live in obedience throughout the week and you worship the Lord as you suffer. We come here and it overflows and it may fill us up a little bit. Then we go out and we live obedient lives Every day, no matter what our circumstances. This whole book that we're reading, 2 Corinthians, it's a testimony of faithfully worshiping God and Christ in your pain. And we all need that because we're going to go through protracted times in our lives of pain and suffering. What does it look like to worship him? You can turn to 2 Corinthians. That's how he starts. So he directs our attention away from suffering. Remember? If you just, all you do is meditate on suffering, it's going to compound the effects of suffering. So Paul is wisely moving our attention off of suffering onto God, toward God. He says that this is your father who is characterized, the father of mercies. What's he trying to tell us there? He is characterized by mercy. It means that his heart delights in giving mercy. God's heart is driven by giving us mercy. So he's not so much telling us what God does as he's telling us who God is. He's telling us what God is like. It's his personality. Above everything else, God is characterized, and we see this all throughout Scripture Old Testament and New Testament. God is moved and characterized by a tender hearted compassion for people who are hurting. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And he has a passionate desire. To build up and to encourage those who are suffering. So why do we even care about that? Really? Like, don't we really sort of just want God to do something? I'm glad, God, that you have compassion. I'm really glad that God that you have mercy. Would you just please change my circumstances now? We so quickly focus on what we're suffering through that we forget, we miss the greater comfort, doesn't come from the ease of the circumstances, but from knowing our Father. But that is the greatest comfort that God has for us is who he is. So just look at it this way. Look at it like a, we're on a dating app with God, okay? And we've read his profile, but we really want to get to know him. We want to really know who God is because he is inviting us into an eternal relationship with him. This is a marriage that we're entering into with him. So I don't want to just know what you can do. I want to know who you are. And God says, I'm compassionate. I'm the father of all mercy. He's characterized by a heart that delights in doing good for his children. Then he says he's the God of all comfort. Now that's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> what kind of comfort do you need? God's got it. What kind of suffering are you going through? What kind of ease do you need? God has it. It's comprehensive of every kind you can imagine. It means he's always ready he never fails to give comfort to those who ask for it, who are his children. And it also means that his compassion is limitless. So God doesn't wear out, He doesn't get tired. My mom cared for my dad, muscular dystrophy, and his health was just failing over the years. I'm just telling you, man, I mean, I'm not being mean. By the time my dad passed away, my mom was done. She was done. She was worn out in every way possible. Thank God, God's not like that. Are you suffering or are you in a long season of suffering? Are you in a long lifetime of suffering? God never fails and God never wears out from comforting you. Amen? Amen. God's not like, oh my gosh, how long is this going to take? Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear it. Get your own water. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ring that bell again, I'm going to come in there. You know, that kind of thing. Aren't we glad that God's not like that? He's also the God of all mercies. He's compassionate. God is deeply moved by our pain. This matters, right? It's not only that God is sovereign and and providential and powerful. That's great. But if God isn't kind and merciful, that stinks. That's like some of the worst news you'd ever want to hear. That God is all-powerful. If God's not also all-good and moved by compassion, again, we're hosed. This is some of the best news you could ever get when you're suffering. God is full of mercy and compassion and by his nature he acts on that compassion which means he takes all the power at his disposal and he's moved by his mercy to act for you with his power that's amazing we should be so grateful and thankful for the mercies of God so the comfort here the word comfort in these first like 12 verses it's used 10 times That the comfort of God would be ours. That we would take the comfort of God and be filled up with it. We would take God's comfort and we would comfort other people with that. You know, he says it over and over again. Well, what is the comfort of God? What is that that God has for us? You ready for this? I think there are several things we can take out of Scripture that talk about the comfort of God. First of all, everything will be made right one day. There is something in our hearts that knows this world is wrong and unjust. Right? Right? That's why when young people die, we say they died too soon. Because there's something in us that's like, that's not supposed to happen like that. There's something wrong with this world. In God's economy, and how the the Lord's going to work out all of history, everything wrong will be made right. Amen? Because we've all been wronged. And there's going to be a day when his justice reigns and rules, and all will be made right. Not today. This isn't it. Not here. This is a facsimile. It's a shadow of the reality that we're moving into. And we should all be thankful for that too. So we shouldn't pin all of our hopes on this place because it's going to pass away in fire. There's going to be a new and better with God for eternity. And he will make all things right. Second reason, the comfort of God that he has for us. The decay of this body is not the end of us. Amen? Yeah. Dude, I'm 49. I'm feeling it, man. You know what I mean? The breakdown of this body is not the end of you. As this thing fails, this machine falls apart. This is not who you are. The real you goes on somewhere forever. It's either going to be with him or not with him in a place called hell. The decay of this body is not the end of us. Third thing, the comfort of God. That he is with us through it all. That he is with us through it all. You've had kids and, and you've had to take them. I mean, Jenna's not little anymore, but so just two or three years ago, she had to have like a tooth thing done, like a filling maybe. And I stayed with her in the room. I don't know, you're like 17 years old. And I feel like, no, she's a kid. i got to stay with her, right? And she wanted me to hold her hand while she had this tooth. I don't want people drilling in my face either, you know? And she's getting drilled on her teeth. So I'm in there holding her hand. We want people, we, again, instinctively want people to be with us when we go through hard times, right? God is with you. The God of the universe is with you. The Jesus that died on the cross is with you. He is with us always. How long? Even until the end of the age. Amen? Amen. What is the comfort of God? The comfort of God is that God is with us. Another thing, the comfort of God. Not only is he with us, he loves us. Right? I've been in people's homes when loved ones have passed away. Hospice is amazing. It's a job I can never do. But they're not sitting there crying with you and loving on and stroking the head of your, your loved one. They're with you, but they don't love you. God's with you, and he loves you. Amen? He's not just with us in the room, taking our vitals till we pass on. He loves you. The God of the universe who spoke it into existence loves us. That's the comfort of God, that he gives us everything we need while we suffer. Do you believe that? Really? Wait till you suffer hard. It's going to get tested. While you suffer, God gives you everything you need. Amen? Any amens from those of us who might walk a path? Yes. You're going to amen it because you've never been there and you think it's true, but you haven't been tested. Or you're going to amen it because you've walked through it. God will give you everything you need while you suffer. Specifically, and I would say most importantly, he gives your soul everything it needs. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. You need to read it. says that he he gives us comfort with his strength. God's strength is part of his comfort for us. That word means to strengthen much. So not a little bit, a lot. To strengthen much. To stand by us and to encourage us as we endure testing. Years ago, don't remember the guy's name. Britton, he's running the Olympics and he pops his hamstring just as he starts running. And his dad runs out of the stands and jumps over the fence and puts his son's arm around him and runs with him, hobbles with him all the way across the finish line. God is with us and he gives us his strength so that we can finish. Amen? Amen. That's part of God's comfort for us. The strength of God. Now here's the last thing I want to tell you. There is no enduring comfort apart from God. There's no other place. There's no other person. There's no spouse. There's no child. There's no house, money, car, fortnight level you know whatever there's nothing that gives you the comfort of God like God does it's a surpassing comfort and nothing else comforts your soul the way that God does there is no other enduring comfort apart from God that is the comfort that we're resting on here verse 6 but if we are afflicted so he's like if we're when we go through hard times why it is for your comfort It's for your salvation. Or if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also are you sharers of our comfort. That's a real complicated way for him to say what he says here. Part of God's comfort for us, I think, is to live in a very particular kind of tension, There's this tension that we live in between my life isn't everything that I want it to be, but God has comforted me and I'm going to give that comfort to you. Just because God comforts you doesn't make everything okay. See, so don't, don't mistake. Like if you have something that causes your headaches all the time and you take aspirin and you feel better that day, it didn't take away the cause of the headaches, but you feel better that day. So God's like aspirin times 5,000 times 10 million, Right. But there are still effects of sin in this world that we're not going to be relieved from until we're out of here. Suffering, pain, loss, grief. These things don't just melt away. But the comfort of God. So there's this funny tension we live in as Christians. I'm going to live with this grief, but I'm not going to be determined by it or be defined by it. I'm going to be, uh, live with this pain and suffering, but I'm not going to be defined by it. And I'm going to comfort you because God's comforted me. So there's this odd tension that we live with as, as Christians that we see here in that passage. Look in verse 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively. How hard did we suffer? Beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. We thought we would die. It was so bad. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death. And he will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and yet he will deliver us. Amen. There's a lot of amen places in there. A lot of great encouragement there. I'm so glad that this is here because I really think that we can relate to this, right? When Paul says, it was so bad I wanted to die. It was so bad I thought I was going to die. Many of us have been there. I'm so glad Paul encouraged that very human moment in this text. Right, that he's not saying, "And God came along and comforted me, and I don't have any pain or sorrow anymore." Saying, "No, no, no. God was with me, and the strength of God was with me, and the comfort of God was with me, and I wanted to die." Paul was just beyond consolation. He was depressed, and he was weighed down to thinking and being convinced that he would die. And then he gets, and we trusted God. In the middle of that, we trusted God. Now, which God? Because in their world, there were lots of gods. In our world, there's lots of gods. So which God is he saying he trusted in? And he says it very specifically. We place our trust and our hope in the God who raises people from the dead. The one who raised Jesus. Guys, all of our hope centers on the resurrection of Christ. Both now and for eternity. And he says, God delivered me. Past tense. And he said, God will deliver me. Future tense. So what does he mean by deliver? It means to preserve. And I think this is very important. We think deliver means get me out, help me escape. Here's what the word little, little, little word deliver means. It means to be preserved. To be kept from falling apart. It also has the idea of someone, you're in distress and somebody gets you close to them so they can hold you and keep you safe while you walk through that. That's what it means when he says deliver. So he's like, God didn't just He didn't take me out of the things that were causing me pain. He held me close while I went through it. He kept me from falling apart while I was in it. And in that, he preserved me and he delivered me. So there's two ways I think that that happens for us. Like really, God experientially delivers us. And then also I think it's like faith and hope. One of the biggest purposes of pain is this. To draw faith out of us and to have us put our hope into God. To take our faith off of ourselves and to put our faith and our hope in God. To deliver us from self-reliance. So can you pray that prayer while you're suffering? God, I'm really used to making my own way. I'm really accustomed to finding my way out, to working hard, to being good. To finding a way to make life work out the way I want it to. Deliver me from that because my kingdom is too tiny and it's a kingdom of sand. that's going to fall apart if it relies on me. Deliver me from me while I go through this pain. Look at verse 11. It's like God's going to deliver us. Verse 11. You also joining and helping us through your prayers. So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Part of our comfort from God comes from other people. Part of our comfort from God comes from other people. So I'm going to invite you to help me with this, okay? So here we are in the new year. It's already February, which is nuts. But we're already deep into 2019. And from the beginning of the year, starting on New Year's Eve, we started to write down prayer requests for the new year. And we started to hang them on the prayer wall. the prayer wall is in the back of the room now. Here's what we're asking you to do today. I'm asking you to go by that prayer wall. We're going to have a prayer time. We're going to take communion in a few moments. And sometime before you leave today, just take one off and start praying for it. Some of these people have put like a contact, a way you can encourage them. If they did, let them know you're praying for them throughout the year. But you're going to take that prayer request and you're going to start praying over it. And you're going to make the commitment, I'm praying for this this year. Until I hear different or see different, I'm just going to ask the Lord for this person. So we're asking you, just like these people in, in verse 11, that you would join with us in prayer. So when we pray for each other, somebody's suffering, somebody's going through pain, what are we accessing? Like, what are we gaining access to when we pray? Every resource that God has for us in Jesus. That's what you're tapping into, Right? Not a conversation with a helpline. You know what I'm saying? Like you call DirecTV, it's an hour and a half later and you haven't gotten anybody that understands. I need to just unhook my DirecTV. You know what I'm saying? They just want to sell you packages and all that kind of stuff. It's not like that. Every resource that God has for us in Jesus is accessible through prayer. He says in verse uh, Philippians chapter 4, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's on our access when we pray for each other. So there's a prayer wall back there. So I am asking this question. I don't know. This is kind of a big experiment for us. Are we going to be a praying church or not? Are we going to be a people who lift each other up in prayer or not? Are we going to join in the suffering of Christ as our brothers and sisters suffer? Or are we going to just say amen, shake our heads at their suffering, and walk out? We have an opportunity to take a card off a wall And enter to your throne room with your dad and talk to him about somebody else's needs. Can we do that for each other? So on the way out today, during our prayer time, you make sure you stop by the wall, please. It's also a way you give comfort. Paul says that, he says, you know where where my comfort came from? God, his strength, Jesus Christ, and you. You. You comforted me. You comforted me because you prayed for me. You can get comfort and you can give comfort through that prayer wall. So take advantage of it. We're going to wrap up our time. Every one of us, when you go through any kind of suffering or pain, we ask the why question, right? Maybe your coach didn't play you enough. Maybe your girlfriend broke up with you. Um, Maybe uh, you you failed a class in school. Maybe your car broke down on the way here this morning. Maybe you're going through something horrific with your health, your family. We always kind of default to why? Why me? Why is this happening? Here's what I would say to that. First of all, it's very natural. Don't feel bad just because you ask the question. God's big enough to take your questions, okay? I would say it's natural. It's an expected question. But I would also say this, and this is not going to sit well with some people. It is an unanswerable question in a final sense. I can't give you the final answer why. And if somebody says they can they don't know what they're talking about. You should just literally write them off. It is an unanswerable question. Question. I'm gonna say this, it's part of the mysteries of God that God keeps to himself. Did you know that? That God has secrets he doesn't tell anybody? Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, he says that. We do this as parents all the time. I could tell you, but I'm not going to. I could tell you why. You don't need to know that. Right? We have lots of relationships when we do that. God is very similar to that. This is one of the things he holds to the mystery of his own will. If he chooses to reveal that at some point, that's fine. If not, I'm going to see him in heaven one day and it won't matter. Secondly, I still have a lot of living to do between here and there, and I got questions. So we're still stuck in this tension of, I need to know some answers. I think there are lots and lots of answers for the why in just these nine verses that we read today. And I want to go recap them for so we don't miss them. I'm not asking you if you like these answers today. But what we do want to know is if they're true. And if they're true, we want to align our hearts to truth. Amen? So God's not saying, I'm going to give you every answer. I'm going to give you every answer you like. He's saying, I'm going to give you some answers. Align your will and your, your understanding to my truth. Okay? Here we go. First of all, verse 9 tells us this. Why do I suffer so I wouldn't put my ultimate confidence in myself? We are prideful, self reliant beings. That's our number one sin, is it not? God, I know better than you. I can be happy doing it my way, I can be fulfilled doing it my way. We're prideful, self reliant beings. God wants to break us of that because He opposes the proud. Verse 9 also that we would put our hope in God who raised Christ from the dead. Why am I suffering? So that I would learn what it looks like to put my hope in God who raised Christ from the dead, not my company, not my spouse, not my kids, not anything else. Third, So that I would trust in God to obey, even if, and no matter what. Verse 12. Verse uh, 12 also. That I would deeply believe and act like my happiness and satisfaction is in knowing God and loving God and being made like Christ. See, this is the other thing. When I suffer, do I act like my entire world's fallen apart? Do I behave like that? I, I do because I probably believe it. Or do I really believe one of God's great works in my life is to give me happiness and satisfaction in knowing him, loving him, and being made like Christ? It's a radical shifting of why we go through life. Next thing. Verse 9 also, to draw faith from us so that we would rely on God. God presses us down not to be mean so that faith would come out. Drives us down so he gives us faith so we can respond with faith. He wants to draw faith from us so that we would live with him in faith. Next thing, to drive us to one another for support. It's one of the reasons why we suffer. God wants us as believers to live a different kind of community. And one of the ways we do that is we don't hide in our pain and suffering. We come close to each other in pain and suffering. To drive us toward one another for support. Verse 11 says that. Next thing, so that we would praise him with our lips from the depths of our souls. That we would really worship him. He wants to draw that out of us and give, us to, give that to Him. So will I suffer this year in 2019 or will my suffering end soon? How bad might my suffering be? I don't know. I don't know. But if you walk through pain and suffering this year, God has a purpose for it and He's told us at least eight things in just these nine verses about why. So we really can... Praise Him. And we really can worship Him. We sang so uh, Though You Slay Me earlier, which I think is fantastic, but we want to worship God in our suffering with our lips and our lifestyle, from our hearts. Not just with what we say, but with how we make decisions every day and with what's going on in our hearts. There's a fantastic song, Mercy Me. This was probably 10 years ago. Golly. I, don't know if I, I still don't know if I can pray this. The dark clouds that may loom above because you are much greater. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm regardless of uh, yours, regardless of the dark clouds that may loom above because you are much greater than my pain. You who made a way for me by suffering your destiny. So tell me what's a little rain. So I pray, bring me joy. Bring me peace. Bring me the chance to be free. Bring me anything that brings you glory. And I know there'll be days when this life brings me pain, but if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. And they end it. I think think the thing I loved about the song, that's amazing. But the way they end it, they just do it over and over again. They just sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they sing it over and over again. Lord, bring me the rain so that I can praise you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God brings us pain and suffering so we really learn how to worship him. So that he draws us down to get rid of ourselves so we can see him for how beautiful and glorious he is and we can give ourselves to worshiping him. Would you pray with me this morning? Lamentations chapter 3 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Are you suffering right now? Are you going through pain right now? The Lord has comfort for you. The Lord is your comfort. Pray to Him, talk to Him this morning. We're going to spend some time now just praying. We have two tables of communion that are available. We're we're not singing. I'm not giving any more instruction this morning. You're going to just be interacting. Maybe you need to go sit with someone and pray. You need to get up and take communion. We're going to sing one final song of worship in a few moments. But I'm just encouraging you right now. Talk to the Lord about your suffering. Talk to him about your pain. Bring him your why questions. Ask him to deliver you, to sustain you, to give you the power you need so you don't fall apart. If you can change something, ask God for the the strength to change it. If something circumstantially needs to change, ask him to change that. But give yourself over to the comfort of the Lord today. Get up, get your your communion, take it back with your family, take it with your friends. I don't want anybody to take it by themselves. If somebody's sitting by themselves, just knock on their shoulders. Say, hey, let's go take communion together today. Let's be a family today. Stop by the prayer wall, get a prayer request, start praying. Let's give ourselves to the Lord. God, we just want to lift up our hands to you and confess to you, God, that suffering hurts and we are in pain and we don't know why it's happening. God, like Paul, we're going to say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Bless the Lord who redeems us and saves us, who raised Jesus from the dead. Bless the Lord who would deliver us and give us strength. Bless the Lord who comforts our souls. Bless the Lord. We worship you. God, as we worship, we thank you so much for what Jesus did on the cross. We can't even talk to you about these things if Jesus didn't die on a cross and come back from the dead. So we remember his sacrifice for us today as we take communion, God. Hear our prayers. Hear our worship. You your name we pray. So during this time, you're going to get up. You're going to go get communion, go to the prayer wall, pray with each other. Let's use this time of worship. Then we'll sing one final worship song.